Say I got faith. Say I have faith. I have the faith of Christ in my spirit. Amen. Glory to God. Do you believe you have the love of God in your heart? Do you believe that um that that you have the peace of God which passes all understanding? Do you believe you have the joy of the Lord? Well, those are three of the nine fruits of the Spirit. Well, if you have those three, you've got the rest. Amen? When God gave you Jesus, he also gave you all things, did he not? And in fact, they are just basical dimensions of the fruit of the Spirit, singular, which is love, joy, peace. I got that. Say, I got that. But it's also long-suffering. Say, I'm long-suffering. Say it again. I am so patient. I can't stand myself at times. <laughs> right? So you are long-suffering. Say, I'm gentle. I am so gentle. I am kind. And I have, I have self-control. Hallelujah. But I also have meekness. I'm so humble. There ain't none humble like me. <laughs> but then I have faith. Amen. You got faith. What I'm saying is the same is the same passage that says you got love, joy, peace. It's the same one that says you got faith. Amen. Now you may need to work that love out into your soul so that you can turn out the cheek. You may need to pull that joy out so that you can have the strength and in situations be able to walk in joy. You may have to pull out that peace so that you don't fall into under the weight of anxiety and fretting. Well, in the same way, you may have to pull out that faith so you don't fall under the weight of doubt and unbelief. But say, I got faith. As you have received Christ, so walk ye in him. You receive him by faith, walk by faith. Well, I don't know for you, but that's good enough right there. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Are we ready? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Folk, hello, hello. Praise the Lord. Are you ready? All right. Be good. Colossians chapter 3. Father, we trust you. We thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That anointing that teaches us all things and leads us and guides us into all truth. Amen. Now we've been talking about um, the fact that Christ is your life. And um, how do we get this life established in the realm of our soul? Colossians chapter 3 reading from verse 1 says... If you then be risen with Christ, are you risen with Christ? Yes. All right. Therefore, you are to seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, and where you sitteth. Amen? If you are seated at the Father's right hand, if you are a citizen of heaven, then you need to seek and pursue that and learn to function accordingly. Set your affections on the things above, not on the things on the earth. Set your affections, your thinking, your mind, your faith, your believing, let it be according to where you are seated, which is in Christ at the Father's right hand. Amen? Because you see, you are dead. You died with Christ. You were buried with him. You were raised up together with him. You were resurrected with him. And you were made to sit together with him in heavenly places at the Father's right hand. You are dead and your life, this new life that you have, this new creation life, it is hid with Christ in God. And it says, when Christ, who is your life, shall appear. Christ himself is the essence of your born-again spirit and is the essence of the new life that you have. And as that life in your spirit begins to become unveiled, as it begins to come up and come out, then the world will see who you really are. Just like it is with Jesus. The Bible says, um, now are we the sons of God. But it does not yet appear what we shall be. The world doesn't recognize us the same way they didn't recognize him. They look at you and they just see you as John or Harry. Or, they don't recognize that you are the son of God, but you are the son of God. Now are you the son of God. And the life of Christ is the very essence of your born again spirit. However, that life in your spirit does not automatically end up in your mind, your will, and your emotions. It doesn't automatically dominate your soul. So the soul, unless the soul comes underneath the dominion of the word of God and the spirit of God and the blood, then the soul is underneath the dominion of the kingdom of darkness. And that is why we need to have our minds renewed. That is why Peter, um, James says in James 1.21 that you must receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your soul. It did not say receive the word which is able to save your soul. 
It says receive with meekness the engrafted word. Unless that word becomes engrafted in your soul, then your soul is not transformed and changed. But how does that word get engrafted in your soul? You must get a hold of that word, meditate in that word, believe that word, begin to speak and declare and agree with that word and act upon that word. For that reason, James goes on to say in James 1.22, Be not deceived, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you bear hear of the word, but you don't do the word, you end up being deceived, thinking you got it, but when in fact you don't. Because the word is not engrafted in you, and your soul would not be transformed and changed. If you believe that this, that this water here is going to quench your thirst, you believe right. Amen? You believe correctly. And you can be, I mean, it's wonderful to know that you believe the truth. But this water here will not quench your thirst unless you act on it and do it and drink it. Amen? So it is with the word of God and so it is with truth. You've got to act upon that truth. Amen? So the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians, so, but, it, so, but, but here it is, your spirit man, full of Christ, but your soul is not. So Paul prays in, Ephesians, in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19, he says, I travail again, my little children, that Christ might be formed in you. That Christ, his anointing, his power, the reality of his sonship, the reality of, of, um, of, of, of righteousness, and these things, that they would be born and they would be formed in your soul, in your mind, in your will, in your emotions, and in your attitudes. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13 says, um, from the very beginning, God from the very beginning had chosen you to salvation. From the very beginning, before the foundation of the world, God's plan for you is that I'm going to bring you to the place where you totally conformed to the image of my son. I'm going to not only born, get you born again and saved, but I'm going to cause you to go through a, a transformation process. I'm going to cause Christ to be formed in you so that you can get to that place where you become the very epistle of Christ to be read of all men. But he says, from the very beginning, he has chosen you to salvation, to this beautiful, perfect work. How? Through sanctification of the Holy Spirit and the belief of the truth. The sanctifying work of the Holy Ghost and the belief of the truth is what gets you to that place we're in the life of Christ and the spirit of Christ that is inside of you begins to be risen upon you and to be seen. Amen? But there is an acknowledgement of the truth. Titus 1 verse 1 says, the acknowledgement of the truth is unto godliness. Which means what? When you acknowledge and you get a hold of the truth and you become acquainted with the truth and you harmonize with it, it tends to godliness. It tends to the manifestation of the God kind of life. In other words, then, that Christ that is in your spirit begins to come to the outside. But you must act on the word. Say, I must act on the word. Amen. So today what we want, to, and we've talked about some of these areas of truth having to do with the spirit and the word, and we began to talk about the blood. We're going to continue a little bit further today, but as we talk about the blood, let me talk about it from the perspective first of the sacrifice of Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Say the gospel. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The gospel of Christ, Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is not going to disappoint me. It, the, the, the gospel of, I, I have confidence in the gospel of Christ. Why? Because you see, it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is the ability of God unto salvation. Now when you think about the ability of God, how much ability does God have? <laughs> how much ability does God have? He is almighty. Well, the gospel of Christ is the ability of God to produce salvation. It is the ability of God. Now you see, you know, I've heard it put this way. Faith is, the, is, 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 is your responsibility in that it is your right response to God's ability. 
All right? Faith is you having the right response to God's ability, and then faith is your responsibility. But ability is God's. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. I have confidence in the gospel, in the good news of Christ, because it has the power, it has the ability of God unto salvation. For who? To everyone that believes. You got to believe. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. But let me just pause on this word salvation for a moment. I know we, you know, as a Bible students, we've heard that salvation, I think is the word was soteria, meaning wholeness and deliverance and etc., etc., and, and preservation and prosperity. But can I go a little bit further for you? The word salvation basically is everything that is good that you can imagine. Everything good. Anything good, it's included in salvation. <laughs> Anything good, which means if your transformation to the image of Christ is good, it includes that. So that word salvation has to do with sanctification. It has to do with Christ being formed in you. It has to do with, with your maturing. So it says here the gospel of Christ has the ability of God to mature you, to strengthen you, to develop you, to cause Christ to be formed in you, to bring deliverance, to bring healing, to bring wholeness, to bring prosperity, to transform your mind and your thinking. Are you with me? Why? It is the power of God and salvation to everyone that believes. You've got to mix faith with it. Because therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Now that is wonderful. This gospel of Christ has all this power. The gospel, this is in a way, in a sense, from a logical perspective, it's almost a no-brainer. What do I mean? Check this out. <laughs> this bottle of water has the ability to get you wet. Isn't that a no-brainer? Right? This water in this bottle has the ability to give you water. How is that? Can this water give you water? Well, do you believe the gospel of Christ can give you Christ? Hello? Well, the gospel of Christ is the ability of God to produce total wholeness and salvation to those who believe. Why? Because the gospel of Christ in the gospel of Christ is Christ. So it says the gospel of Christ because in it is the righteousness of God. But stop, stop. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 says that of him Christ is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, and what? Sanctification. So according to 1 Corinthians 1 30, Christ is righteousness. Are you with me? Christ is oneness with God. Christ is the anointing. Christ is righteousness. Amen? That is why your born again spirit is created in righteousness and true holiness. So the saying and the gospel of Christ has the ability of God to bring forth any kind of salvation, deliverance, wholeness, preservation, transformation, maturing, Christ being formed in you because, if you would believe it, in the gospel of Christ, therein lies Christ, which is righteousness. In the water is water. So the water is going to give you water. The gospel of Christ is going to produce Christ. Simple. Can you see that? Glory to God. Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. And, okay. All right. So then the gospel has the power to mature you. To cause Christ to be formed in you. Well... <laughs> Think about this for a moment. Salvation. As I said, perfection is wholeness. It is anything good. The gospel has the power to produce that. Let's put it this way now. Any and everything, anything that ails or hurts the human race, any kind of evil that could have come upon a human being or the human race or even in any of God's creation, if the gospel of Christ doesn't have the ability to fix every 
evil that came as a result of Adam's fall, if the gospel of Christ, what God did in Christ, that sacrifice is not good enough to fix any and every evil that came to the human race and to all of creation because of Adam's fall, it would mean that the, the work the devil did in Adam is greater than the work that God did in Christ. In other words, the devil produced more evil by the fall than the goodness God could have created in, 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 in um, the second Adam, which is Christ. In other words, then, uh, we'd be saying that the good news could be better. <laughs> we say the good news needs to be better. <laughs> Are you hearing me? Now, I ascribe to you that anything and everything, every evil that come on a human race and upon this planet, God fixed it in Christ. And that is why Jesus said it is finished. That is why the gospel and the sacrifice of Christ answers every and any evil. It answers everything. It reconciles everything to God's original intent and purpose. Colossians 1.20. And that's wonderful. Ma'am, would you like to get a hold of this gospel? <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Flip with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Again, Paul says, the preaching of the cross, the declaration, the proclamation, the acting on the cross, and the preaching of the cross, that's the sacrifice, that's the sacrifice. It is to them that perish foolishness. Say, that's not me. I'm not perishing. Right? Jesus come that I might have life and have it more abundantly. I don't know. I'm not perishing. Are you perishing? No. <laughs> the thief comes to see you. No, I'm not perishing. So the, the preaching of the cross to them that perish is foolishness. Well, thank God that's not you. But to us, which are saved, say that's me. That's <laughs> to us who are saved, that preaching of the cross is the power of God. It is the ability of God. Amen? It is the ability of God. So, but understand this. It is the ability of God. Okay, verse mm. Verse 17 says, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Again, that's talking about a sacrifice. Verse 24, unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 30, of, of him are we in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So, but it does say, it doesn't say the cross is the power of God or the ability of God. It says the preaching of the cross. In other words, it's what you do with the sacrifice. It's the application of the sacrifice. It is the preaching. It is the proclaiming. It is the saying. It is the believing. It is the acting on the sacrifice that produces the ability to bring forth Transformation, deliverance, wholeness, salvation, etc. Again, same point. You've got to act in it. Say, I've got to act in it. Titus 1 verse 1 says, the acknowledgement of the truth. Not just the truth, but the acknowledgement of the truth. Hebrews 4 verse 2 says, faith. No, it says, um, the gospel preached didn't profit them because it was not mixed with faith. So, the gospel must be mixed with faith. Say, I've got to act in it. James said, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Titus 1 verse 3, God manifests his word. Wouldn't you like the word of God to just manifest, be revealed, and it'd be quite obvious. Oops, there it is. But the God manifests his word how? Through preaching. That's the proclaiming. That's the speaking. That's the acting on the word. Question. How do you apply the sacrifice? How do you apply the word? What do you do? Well, Joshua 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you might observe to do according to all that is written therein. And then you're going to make your way prosperous, and you're going to have good success. You're going to have manifestation. What is that verse saying? This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. You got to say it. 
to say it. And you shall meditate day and night. You got to meditate in it. Well, if you say it and you meditate in it, you will also believe it. And then you might observe to do, to act in it. So basically, the way you're going to apply any particular truth, and certainly the truths that come out of the sacrifice of Christ, is by believing it, is by believing it, or let me put it this way, is by meditating on it, believing it, saying it, and doing it. Medit say meditate. Believe it. Say it. Do it. Believe it. Say it. Do it. Say it fast. Believe it. Say it. Do it. Believe it. Say it. Do it. Believe it. Say it. Do it. Come on. Get the point. <laughs> but no worry. We're going to meditate in order to believe. It's more poetic. <laughs> believe it. Say it. Do it. I'm serious. You should go to sleep tonight. Believe it. Say it. Do it. Believe it. Say it. Believe it. Say it. Do it. Whatever the promise is, believe it, say it, and do it. Jesus said that's how it works. All right. First Corinthians chapter 4, verse 15 says, Meditate on these things. Give yourself wholly, completely unto them. Throw yourself into them so that your progress would be evident to everyone. Is the progress you are making in Christ evident to everyone? And if not, why not? Is it because it is not manifest on the outside? Should it be manifest on the outside? Isn't that what God wants when he says we are to be the epistles of Christ, read of all men? Amen. So we're talking about what? Say application. <laughs> Believe it, say it, do it. Now, as we talk about the we're going to zoom in on the act sacrifice of Christ. But as we talk about the act sacrifice of Christ, first of all, what are we talking about? Because we're talking about application. Don't forget, I got to drink the water. It's not enough for me to know it's H2O. It's not enough for me to know water can quench my thirst. If I don't drink it, I don't profit. So it's not enough for me to know the sacrifice and know about it. I've got to do it. I've got to apply it. Okay. Now, when we talk about the sacrifice, there's, there's, first of all, there is what Jesus did for us. I like to think of it as eight parts. The parts that Jesus did is a little bit more obvious, which is Jesus was crucified, he was buried, he was resurrected, he ascended to the Father's right hand, and he shed his blood. Amen? But now, the application to us is, we were crucified with him, we were buried with him, we were resurrected with him, we ascended to the Father's right hand with him, and the blood of Jesus washes us, cleanses us, and plants us in a new covenant. And then what also comes out of it for us is we have the life of Christ, we also have the authority of his name, and we've got the rights of sonship. These great and precious promises by which we are able to partake of the divine nature. Amen? So that the overall sacrifice is, 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 is death, burial, resurrection, ascension, shed blood, his life, his name, his promises. All right. Now, um, the emphasis here on, on, on communion, common union, our fellowship with him, what I want to emphasize is not merely what Jesus did, his death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and his shed blood, but what's our part in what he did? What's our intimate fellowship, communion, share, and participation in what he did? Because quite frankly, without that part, we're not going to have the level of victory that God wants us to have. Amen? Are you with me? Amen. So we, we're going to focus on that. But now, what are we doing? Why are we looking at these aspects of these eight aspects of the sacrifice? Because we found out that by the application of the sacrifice, the sacrifice has the ability to mature us. It has the ability to, to cause Christ to be formed in us. It has the ability to, to uh, we know Christ has to be formed and must be formed in the realm of our soul for us to have the victories that God wants us to have. It must be that way. Amen? It's according as your soul prosper, the Bible says. Amen. So now when we're talking about Christ being formed in you, stay with me, say I'm mathematical. Say that with me. Talk to yourself. Tell yourself, I am mathematical. 
don't worry about it. He said, oh, he preaches too deep and it just goes over my head. It's simple. Amen? Say it's simple. <laughs> Say I'm mathematical. So there are eight aspects to it. Eight aspects to the sacrifice. And this sacrifice is to cause Christ to be formed in you. There are four dimensions to Christ being formed in you that we can look at very easily. And it comes right off of the reality that Christ is righteous. But anyway, we're focusing on this, on the, the life of Christ. There are four aspects by which you can view this. Number one, the issue of oneness with God. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Amen? The issue of oneness with God. Which means what? Living in a place where there is no separation. In your mind, I'm not separate. He and I are one. We're together. I show up, he shows up. Amen? If I'm here, he's here. No separation. All right, that's one aspect. The other aspect of Christ is the authority. The authority. Jesus said, or rather it says in Romans chapter 10, verse 6 to 8, don't ask Jesus. Don't say Christ. Come down. The righteousness which of faith speaks. It doesn't say Christ come down. It doesn't say Christ come up. But what does it say? The word is near you, even in your mouth and in your heart. But let me re 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 not rewrite. Let me look into that scripture a little further. You watch this with me. It, and this is Romans chapter 10, verse 6 to 8. The righteousness of faith, which means the right conduct of faith, the way faith is supposed to believe, behave, it doesn't say Christ, come down. And it doesn't say Christ, come up. But what does it say? Christ is right here. He's right here. See, he's right here. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. He is right here, and he's giving me authority. So I don't have to tell him to come down or tell him to come up. He's right here. I speak the word. I and I talk to God about the mountain, but God is not the one to move the mountain. God tells me to speak to the mountain. Many times believers mess it up. You know why? They try to get God to do what He told them to do, and the laws governing Christ and governing anointing says you do your part, God do His part, and don't try to get Him to do your part if He told you you do it. Jesus, can you deal with this devil? No, 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 no. He's not going to deal with no devil. He already defeated him, and he said, you need to take that victory, and you cast him out. You bind him. He's not going to bind the devil for you. Are you with me? Amen. So there is that, so the way, the function of Christ is that it operates in this oneness with God. It operates in the authority. It also operates in the, in the rights of sonship. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 14 to 17, um, the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. That God has not given us a spirit of bondage again to fear, but he's given us a spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And then it says you are, you are, the spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if we are children, then we are heirs of God and we are joint heirs with Christ. Does it not? So we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And that there is speaking about sonship. I am a son. Jesus says, look, when the Holy, in John chapter 16, read it from verse 13. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come, he's going to guide you into all truth. He's gonna take this, he's gonna take what's mine and he's gonna reveal it unto you. Meaning, he's gonna take whatever belongs to me and he's gonna make it real and manifest in your life. And Jesus says, the reason why he's gonna do that, let me tell you, everything the Father has belongs to me. That's why I say he's gonna take what's mine and show it unto you. Because the truth is, everything that belongs to me belongs to you. What is the point? Sonship. There are rights. There's an authority that comes from your sonship. And there are rights and privileges that come with your sonship. And the reality of Christ in you means that as Christ is, so are you in this world. Isn't that right? Yes. Well, let me ask you something. Is Christ there walking around filled with shame? Does he have guilt? Is he under condemnation? Is he insecure? Does he have a sense of inferiority? But rather, he has right standing with God. 
So if the spirit of Christ dominates you and you yield to the spirit of Christ, then the spirit of Christ is to produce within you because the sins are washed away, the price has been paid, the wrath of God has been appeased, and everything else. The, 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 the Christ in you is to produce this sense of, of, of as if sin has never been. No shame, no, no shame, no guilt, no insecurity, no inferiority. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. No condemnation. So those are four aspects. Oneness, um, authority, rights, and right standing. All right, now, so the thing is now, is how do we take these eight aspects, and we're not going to go through it all, don't worry. <laughs> Relax, calm down. <laughs> I could give you a hand out and you could do it in your own, though. <laughs> so we can take these eight aspects of the sacrifice of Christ, study each one of them, and see how it will produce each of these four aspects of the life of Christ. Amen? All right. So, let's talk a little bit about that. The application of the sacrifice to produce the life of Christ. You don't need to turn to it, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul was saying, I go through a whole lot of trouble. Man, they try to kill me. Man, they beat me up. Oh, I mean, I've, I've, been, in, I've been, 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 been naked. I've been, been, been in the water for days. I mean, all kinds of stuff I've gone through. And I mean, and if, <laughs> sorry, I just had this thought in my mind. If you see the list of the things that Paul went through, if it was Peter, he would probably deny him three times. Sorry, I mean, <laughs> no, I don't know the man. Sorry, Peter. <laughs> But Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, he says, look, in spite of all of those things that I've experienced, he says, now listen to this, he says, I always bearing about in my body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Christ might be made manifest in my body. And then he goes on to say, my mortal flesh. What is he saying? He says, look, no matter what else is going on, this is how I live. I always live in an identification with the sacrifice of Christ. I always live in this place where I recognize I'm crucified with him, I'm buried with him, and it is now his resurrected life that is in me, and that I'm, I'm seated at the Father's right hand, and I have his life, and I have the authority of his name, and I have all these rights and privileges. I live in the identification of the sacrifice of Christ, and as a result of that, so that the life of Christ himself would be made manifest. So I will be able to live with the manifestation of this oneness with him, my sonships, my rights, and the authority. Amen? That's what Paul was saying. In other words, Paul says, I apply the sacrifice of Christ, and here is the result, the life of Christ in manifestation. All right, so we talked a little bit about the blood. I'm just going to give you a little bit about that. But before, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. All right. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. All right, now you may need to physically see this, but anyway, if not, listen carefully. Now, the God of peace, the God of wholeness, the God that has reconciled everything to his original intent by the blood of Christ, that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, now watch this phrase, phrase, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well pleasing in his sight. Let me back up. Look at this phrase. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect. Through the blood of the everlasting covenant, through the blood, mature you. Can we say that? Amen? But that whole process of maturing in and of itself is Christ being formed in you. The maturing is when your mind, your will, your emotions, your attitudes come underneath the government of the Spirit of God. Amen? And it says the blood is able to do that. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 16 admonishes us that we are to have communion with the blood, which means a common union, a share in the blood, an intimate participation in the blood of Christ. 
Why? Because it has this perfecting power to mature us. All right. So, a couple of things about the blood. Now, don't remember, anything we find out, we got to apply it. For instance, now I'm going to go very quickly, but in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, it speaks about Christ being the sacrifice, um, the atoning sacrifice that took the punishment and the penalty so that we could be free, so we don't have to stay in jail. We don't have to stay in prison underneath the, the spirit of this world and whatever else there is, sickness, disease, but rather he paid the price so that we can be set free, so that we can be redeemed, so that we can be forgiven. Amen? He was the propitiation. Now the question is, what do I do with that? Well, I got to act on it by doing what? Meditate on it, and then what else? Come on. Believe it. Say it. Do it. I got to believe that, uh, that he has paid the price. I got to say, I got to speak with my mouth that the price has been paid, and I got to act like it. I got to act like I'm free. I got to act like I'm forgiven. Amen. Amen. I must talk to myself about that I'm forgiven. Rather than being underneath the weight of the guilt of something that I did 15 years ago. Because since 15 years ago, I haven't done anything wrong. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> okay, sorry. I, I mean, <laughs> you get my point? I got to apply this. <laughs> All right. Of course. But the point is, he is the propitiation, number one. Number two, he became a curse so that we redeemed from the curse. So that the blessing on the cross, he became the curse so that I might be blessed. He took sickness that I might be healed. He, took, he was rejected so that I'm accepted. He became poor that I might be made rich, etc., etc., etc. So what do I declare? I declare that the blessing of the Lord is on my life. There's an empowerment from the Spirit of God so that the promises of God could be fulfilled in my life. And I say whatever I know concerning that. But I believe it, I speak it, I say it. And I act like it. I act like I'm blessed. Amen? I'm so blessed you can't curse me. Amen? How can you curse what God has blessed? It is Christ that has justified me. And then number three, you're justified as if sin has never been. Blameless in his sight. Number four, you're righteous conscious. And you develop a consciousness whereby the blood of Jesus, my consciousness is so purged that I could come before him not having any consciousness of separation. Number five, peace. Now the Bible says in Colossians 1 verse 20 that by the blood of his cross, he has, he has reconciled everything to himself. Which means that what Jesus did on the cross in his dead, burial, resurrection, ascension, and shed blood has fixed everything. It has, it has, in the realm of the spirit, everything has been set at one again to God's original plan and intention uh, and his intent from the foundation of the world. That is why even though you might see a world out there in corruption, and even though you might see storms, and you might see global warming, and you might see whatever else, you, you and I can sit in a place of confidence. We can have the gospel shoes of peace, having that readiness and that confidence that everything is going to be all right. Amen? Because it's already finished. It's already been reconciled. Amen? And not only that, even when I'm in the middle of the storm, and when I'm dealing with the enemy, I can believe God, and according to Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace shall bruise Satan underneath my feet. Shortly. Are you with me? Right? Again, the blood declares those things. So what should I do? I got I to gotta believe it. I got to say it. I got to act like it. And as a result of that, I refuse to be anxious about anything. Because if whatever I'm anxious over, I'm engaging with. And I'm empowering. But I'm not going to be anxious about anything. But what am I going to do? Instead, I'll stay engaged with God. I'm going to stay engaged with the truth. I'm going to stay engaged and hooked up with what is finished. And then what happens? The peace of God which passes all understanding will keep my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, verse 6 to 8. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God that keep the pastoral understanding will keep your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. What's that saying? Don't be anxious. Don't get engaged with the problem. Don't release your faith and give strength to the problem. Don't do that. Stay hooked up with God in prayer. Stay in fellowship and union and communion with Him. And if you do that, peace is going to be released. I will keep them in perfect peace whose mind is stayed in me. Isaiah 26 and verse 3. So number 6, victory. 
The Bible says in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 to 11, God, Jesus says that he has Satan, well, that's from Luke, like lightning falling to the ground. The accuser of the brethren has been cast down. And now has come the power of his Christ. Now has come the kingdom of our God. Amen? And the Bible says they overcame the enemy. How? With the blood of the lamb and with the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives even unto death. Well, what should I, how do mean I love not my life even unto death? I'm not afraid of dying. Of course it means all of that. But it also means I love not my life even unto death. Man, I don't conquer my life dear unto myself. I've released that. And I recognize that this is who I really am. I am crucified with Christ. And the life I now live is his life. Amen? So, there is the application of the blood that declares my victory. My victory over the enemy. It says in... Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 to 15 how Jesus, how there is forgiveness it also says how Jesus spoiled and defeated the principalities and powers it also says those commandments and those rules that were against me he fulfilled them and nailed it to the cross so that by his body I am dead to the law amen so that the law doesn't have a demand in my life so that the devil is being defeated and disarmed and I am forgiven and I'm washed, etc., etc. Hallelujah. Say there's victory. There's total victory. In the Old Testament, it talks about how, how when the death angel was going to pass through, that they put the blood in the doorpost and on the linton and, 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 and so on, around about the window and the doors and all of that. And the and, and Bible says, when I see the blood, I will pass over them and the death angel cannot attack anyone under the blood. Say, I'm under the blood. Why is that? 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 says, Because Christ, our Passover, our Passover lamb, he has been sacrificed. Now when you get a hold of these things and the reality of it, now you may have to meditate on it. Mm. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. My righteousness is of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks be to God who always causes me to triumph. Thanks be to God who has given me the victory through the Lord Jesus Christ. Ah, the devil, he's been spoiled and defeated. Man, oh, I've got total victory over him. When Jesus defeated him, he did it in my name. It's as if I defeated him. Mm, I remind him of that. And then what happened? As I meditated on it, what happened? And I believed that. I began to talk that way. I began to act that way. What is it? No, no fear. Say no fear. Right? Next thing you know, I shift into a place where there is no fear. All right, number seven, inheritance. The Bible says the blood of Christ, Colossians 1 verse 12, and the sacrifice has qualified you for all of the inheritance. Amen? And in Christ you do have an inheritance. That inheritance is all-inclusive. It is so inclusive, in fact, that in Ephesians 3 verse 8, it calls it the unsearchable riches of Christ. It says in Ephesians 2 and verse 7 that it's going to take all of eternity for God to unveil how exceedingly rich and kind and generous he was towards us. In other words, eternity is going to go by and we're going to be saying, wow, oh man, that too whole. Hey, you, hey, hey, it's going to be, it's keep unfolding, unfolding. It is so immense. But you know, all of that is ours now and it's all part of the inheritance. When you see how extensive and how um, insurmountable, how unsearchable the riches of Christ and of that inheritance is, Healing is just a little part. Prosperity is just a part. The glory of God is just a part. Household salvation is just a part. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and your household. The nations have given you the healing for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for your possession. But we got to believe these things. And we got to say, talk accordingly. And then we got to act accordingly. And we build our faith up. Paul said that when God called him, it was to turn the Gentiles from darkness to light, Acts 26, 18, but also to reveal unto them and to give them their inheritance by faith. So this inheritance, we get a hold of it by faith, by believing it, by saying it, and by acting like it is so. What happens when you begin to believe this kind of inheritance? It will destroy every poverty mindset out of you. It will just flush it out of you. Would it not? If we can believe it, meditate in it, believe it, act accordingly, praise God forevermore. Hallelujah. And then there's the issue of consecration that the blood speaks. The Bible said you've been bought with a price. You're not your own. 
Therefore, you're supposed to glorify God in your body and in your mind. So much so that Romans 12 verse 1 says, present your body a living sacrifice. You can't do whatever you feel like with it because it belongs to him. You can't let the flesh dictate to you what you should and shouldn't do with your body, no. Right? Whatever you do, whatever you eat or even drink, gluttony could be a sin, is a sin. Whatever you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. I drive that gluttonous spirit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, and I'm talking about this because there's an element of consecration connected up to the blood. Amen? You are not your own. It says in Hebrews 12, verse 14, follow peace with who? With all men. And what else? Holiness. Why? Because without it, you shall not see the glory. You will not see God. What does that mean? I mean, if I don't live holy... And I don't live in peace with all men and I don't follow after it. I'm not going to make it to heaven. I don't believe it means that. But it says it will affect the manifestation. Do you want manifestation? Yes. Right? So it says for me to have manifestation, I've got to live at peace. I must endeavor to do that. In fact, regarding peace, Romans 12 verse 18 says, as far as it, as it, as it um, I know King James says it was, as much as is possible. The Amplified says, as far as it depends on you. <laughs> as far as it depends on you. In other words, Harry, he's not, he not interested in peace. Well, forget Harry. It's not about Harry. As far as it depends on you, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. And what else? And holiness. Say holiness. holiness. Glory to God. Even Jesus, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, he had a, he, 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 he had a, he had a, he was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness. Amen? All right. Okay. All right. To the blood. To the blood has power. Heaven and earth, under the earth, power and authority. Now let me discover one other aspect of this, um, which is crucifixion, and then we're going to be done for today. The application of crucifixion. The Bible says in Romans chapter 6, reading from verse 3, Know ye not? That of many of you have been baptized into Christ. We were baptized into his death. You were buried with him by baptism unto death. And like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too were raised up and you ought to walk in the newness of life. You ought to walk in resurrected life. Amen? And then it even goes on to say in verse 11, that being the case, to reckon yourself to be dead indeed. In other words, you recognize that these truths, that this is how it is. And act that way, all right. Say, I'm crucified. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 says, says, you are crucified with Christ, and it's no longer you that live, but it's Christ that liveth in you. And the life you now live, you live by the faith of the Son of God. It says, now, I, I want to make a statement here, which is this. Your, first of all, Galatians 2, 20 is your true identity. Whether you like it or not, whether you feel like it or not, every born-again person has been crucified with Christ. And the life in our life is the life of Christ. The issue is that needs to come out into your soul and into your body. But that's your true identity is who you are in your spirit. Is it not? All right. Now, for that to become your reality and your experience where you're crucified and it's not a life of Christ, here's the statement. Crucifixion is the foundation of the sacrifice and it is the foundation of your New life in Christ, period. If you leave crucifixion out, your, your identity will be flawed. It begins in crucifixion. And it is the foundation of everything else. I mean, it's wonderful. Blessed with every spiritual blessing and all of that. But the Bible says if you be dead with him, then you live with him. Amen? All right. How many of you like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17? If any man is in Christ, come on, finish it. He's a new creation. All things have passed away and all things have become new. But do you know 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 didn't begin in chapter 17, in verse 17? 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if you back up to verse 14, it says, The love of Christ constrains us, compels us. 
because we just judge. What did we judge? That if one died for all, then we're all dead. That's verse 14. And if that he died for all, they which live, that's you, you get born again, right? Should not henceforth live for themselves, but to him that died for them and rose again. Wherefore, from here on, we don't know any man after the flesh. We don't see things from just a mere human perspective. But we go on to verse 17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, all things have become new. But that verse, verse 17, began back in verse 14. That you have been, that, that when he was crucified, everyone was crucified, and you were crucified. It's your part in the sacrifice of Christ. The Bible says in Colossians 2 verse 12, that you were buried with Christ in baptism, wherein also you are also risen with Christ through the faith of the operation of God who had raised him from the dead. What's that saying? God placed you in Christ, crucified you with him, buried you with him, got rid of that old body, got rid of that old, old man, and then you were raised up with him and you ascended to his right hand. Amen? And that operation is the faith. God did that with his own faith. But before you were raised up, you were crucified. Can you imagine having a chair with no legs? Or maybe having a chair with two legs. Or even worse, having a chair with one leg. And the one leg is not in the middle, it's at the back somewhere. It wouldn't stand, would it? So to try to live in the resurrection life, you know, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable even unto his death. Well, how are you going to be in the power of his resurrection without being conformable even unto his death? That's called crucifixion. So crucifixion is the foundation of your new creation life. Amen? Now, when Jesus said, for instance, in, in Matthew 16, 24, take up your cross and follow me. What was he talking about? He was talking about your part in the sacrifice. He was talking about your true identity. Amen? In Luke 14, 26, when Jesus said, if any man will come after me and hate not his father and mother and wife, and children, brothers, and sisters. In other words, God says, you got to put me first. And yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus said, he may want to be my disciple. He might study to be my disciple. But he cannot, it's impossible for him to be my disciple if he's going to put anything and anyone before me. What was he talking about? He was talking about crucifixion about sanctification, about holiness, about consecration. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3 says, this is the will of God, even our sanctification. First Thessalonians 4, verse 7 says, he's called us to holiness. You see, here's a, here's a very interesting thought. I know sometimes you, if, you know, in certain kind of rah-rah meetings, right? Everybody will jump up and say, I want to serve God. I want to do something for God. I want to serve him. God, use me. Use me, Lord. Use me. And, and, and I'm not knocking it, but, but let, 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 let's, let, let's check this out properly. The Bible says if any man will purge himself of these, he will be a vessel of honor. Here's the point. God is actually looking for vessels that are empty of themselves and that are so yielded to him that Christ can live in you and through you. So that you can become an epistle of Christ. In other words, this issue of serving God and God use me, it's more about letting Christ live in you and serve through you than it is about you serving God by means of works. Amen? What does that translate to? Crucifixion. Application of the sacrifice. It's no longer I. <clears throat> All right? John chapter 12, verse 25. In other words, why is this important? Because if I'm going to be a disciple, it's necessary. 
If God is going to be able to flow and do what he wants, it's necessary. This is how Jesus said, this is, he says, without this you can't follow me. Without this you can't, you've got to have this in order to have your part in the sacrifice. Jesus said in John 12, 25, that if any man, if you love his life, he that loved his life in this world is going to lose it. And he that hated it shall find it. What is he talking about? He's talking about being dead, being crucified to the world. Galatians 6 verse 14 says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Colossians 2 verse 20 says, you are dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world. You are dead with Christ to the material thinking and the material ways of being in the world. You are dead with Christ from all that externalism, all that external stuff and all the elementary teachings. The laws that govern this life of Christ is not touch, not taste, not, and it's not about any of that. It's not about what people think don't, it's not about any of that. Amen? It's about faith, it's about love, and when we start talking about the, uh, about the principles that govern our life, you'll see it has nothing to do, you are dead to the world. Say, I'm dead to the world. Amen. Hallelujah. So this power of crucifixion, quite frankly, the power of crucifixion, there's such power, as I said, the foundation to this new, this new life that you have, and this crucifixion has such power that it produces about eight different things. Eight, let me see. Eight, seven, nine. About nine significant things that come as a result of the application of crucifixion in your life. In other words, it's power to produce nine different things that will just, what should I say, springboard you into the everlasting kingdom. Nine different things, but not today. <laughs> Amen. We got to stop somewhere. Amen? But you, you can tell where we're going to have to pick up next week. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But until such time, what should we do? We are to embrace the cross. We are to embrace the sacrifice. We are to embrace crucifixion. We are to embrace the blood. That's what Philippians 3.18 was talking about. It's talking about these people to whom their minds, they were enemies of the cross. They weren't em embracing it. Colossians 3 verse 3 says, You are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Romans 6 verse 11, Reckon yourself. Reckon yourself to be, in, to be dead indeed. Reckon yourself to be crucified indeed. But alive unto God through Christ. Does this make sense to you? Hallelujah. Let's stand. Do it again. Believe it. Say it. Do it. One more time. Believe it. Say it. Do it. One more time. Believe it. Say it. Do it. You got to act on the word. The Bible says if you don't act on the word, you deceive yourself. Amen. You got to drink the water. Amen. You got to drink the water. It's not enough to look at it and analyze it. You got to drink the water. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Who has the birthdays in November? I can't hear She yes. just stepped out. Okay. So you have a birthday too? In December. Okay. In November. In, in November. Yeah. In November. And Caroline. You have a birthday too. Praise the Lord. Right. Glory Happy to God. Happy birthday to you. All. Happy birthday to you. All. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Amen. Your friends Lord. are not coming in. If you need prayer, Hallelujah. pastors here, they can agree with you. Amen. Tonight. And if you need anything, you just call us. Anyone needs prayer? Come on. Are we still online? Sorry, let me be Praise the Lord. The Lord is good, isn't he? Amen. Iris, you need prayer? Yes. Come on up. Caroline, oh, shame. Okay. Graham, Frida, 
Grab her hand. Iris, stand there. Let, uh, the rest of you stretch forth your hand. Hallelujah. Father, you're the God of all grace. You're the God of glory. You're the God of resurrection. Lord, we have read in your word. We read, we've read how, how you raised up Lazarus. We have our own testimonies. Lord God, how you've, how you've healed blinded eyes. How you've straightened out crooked legs. You're the, your Lord, you've even grown legs. In the name of Jesus. Earlier, about a, about a week ago, we saw a, a, a healing where a woman's hand literally grew out. Lord, you are the same. You're the God of all power. And we've been talking today that the very sacrifice of Christ, everything that Jesus did in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension was so awesome that in it there is ability and power to bring forth salvation and healing and health and wholeness. So in the name of Jesus right now, we lift up shame before you and we release our faith and we command every bit of infection to cease and to come out of his foot in Jesus' name. We curse the infection, whatever the name of it might be, whatever the name of the virus or whatever, in the name of Jesus, which is above you, in Jesus' name, you are to dry up. Every bit of oozing, cease in Jesus' name. Every, every infection, be gone in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, Father, we thank you that there is resurrection power in the blood of Christ. And by the authority of that blood right now, we speak to his immune system to rise up by the power of the anointing and drive out every infection in Jesus' name and make him completely whole. Father, we thank you for doing it right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you. Father, we pray for every family represented here and we claim salvation for every household. Salvation, deliverance, divine protection, prosperity, and freedom from every curse over every family member of ours in the mighty name of Jesus. Whether near or far, in Jesus' name. And Iris, anything specific? All right, get over there, get over there. <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you. With long life, you are satisfying Iris. But Lord, we recognize and we believe that not only must our life be long, not only must she, the number of our days be fulfilled, but according to your word, she is to live strong and to live long in the name of Jesus. Because she has got a common union and participation in everything that Jesus did in his body and everything that Jesus did in his shed blood. So we speak wholeness. We speak strength. We speak life. We speak redemption to her. But not only to her, Lord God, but to her family, to her children, to her grandchildren, to the, to the stepdaughters and to the, step, to the steps as well. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for doing it. Father, we declare soundness of mind. For your word tells us that you have, you have given her the spirit of love, power, faith, but also a sound mind in the name of Jesus. And we declare your prosperity in every area of our life in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. And thank you, Lord, for your blessing upon those who have birthdays today or this month. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Well, you are blessed. Joyce, Gloria, young people, Father, in the name of Jesus, we just declare your hand upon these young people, Father. In Jesus' name, doing them good. Thank you for the good plan and the good future. Yeah. Yes, and the boys up in the booth that are hiding. In Jesus' name. You can't hide from God. <laughs> right? Nothing here that your life is hidden with Christ and God. Hallelujah. Father, we just declare your hand upon these children. Lord, you have said in your word that you've got a good plan. You've got a good future. It's a future of hope, Father. In the name of Jesus. And Father, we are believing you to so bring them into the very center of your will. Their steps being so ordered of the Lord. Father, they are young, and they're, Lord God, they're, they're like, there's so much of their life that is ahead of them that there are divine connections that need to take place in their lives right now that has a lot to do with their future. 
who whatever those connections might be, bring them forth in each of their lives in Jesus' name. Show yourself strong on their behalf. Demonstrate that you are the God of that you are their God, that you are the God of covenant in their lives. In the name of Jesus, Father, we declare your peace and reconciliation upon them, so that nothing make them anxious, nothing makes them fretful, but they just stand and they just rest in the finished work of Christ, and they have that peace in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for Christ being so formed in them. And to that end, I pray that you would strengthen them with might by your spirit in their innermost being, so that Christ might dwell in that soul shame of their heart by faith, and that they would so know the love of Christ which passes all knowledge, that they would be filled with all of the fullness of God in the name of Jesus. Knowing the length, the breadth, the depth, and the height, and the various dimensions of your love, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you for doing it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. You are blessed to the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mark, what's up? <laughs> Let me get off my microphone.